Our topic tonight, the mark of the beast and the seal of God, or the seal of God. Now, this is a, a very important topic. Um, it's a crucial topic, as we'll see. Now, but to understand this topic, and certainly God will want us to understand this topic, we need to understand who the beast power is in order to understand what the mark of the beast is. And, and so if you've missed the last uh, few sessions or have not been tracking really from the beginning because all of Revelation and all of Daniel, Daniel tracks into Revelation, all of it is one layer upon another. Each one adds to the chapter before it. Uh, and so it's like jumping into algebra class without having learned how to add, subtract, or even multiply or divide. So, um, so we're into a deep topic here. That's why it's chapter 14 of Revelation, not chapter 1. And, um, and so as we look at this chapter, may God give us the grace and wisdom to discern it. Now, the events that we're going to be looking at have not taken place yet. The mark of the beast has not yet been enforced or installed. And so no one on the earth has received the mark of the beast uh, yet. And that is an important clarification and an uh, important point. And hopefully I'll remember to mention it again because it is so important that we understand that and not uh, miscalculate it. And as we look at these descriptions, it's not talking about any people, individuals per se, but just the systems that are in play and, and, uh, and will be in play in these last day events that bring about the events that the Bible is prophesying. Uh, and so again, it's not for us to condemn or even judge any individual or, or, or person, uh, but there are systems in place that have participated and done the things that we see. Uh, and we'll have a good example of that, and we'll see Babylon mentioned in the chapter today. Uh, Babylon was a kingdom that is listed in Revelation as this not good part of the, the not good power, an evil power, and in the symbolic terminology and literal Babylon back in the day, uh, it did take Jerusalem, it did destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take people captive. But at the same time, people like even Nebuchadnezzar the king ends up coming to the Lord, right? And so there can be people within a system that the Bible prophesies is going to do some horrible things, even destroy God's city and destroy God's temple and kill many of the people. But yet at the same time, individuals, even the king, could be saved. <clears throat> Again, very important clarification for us to have in our understanding. And so if you've missed the previous stuff, again, this might be hard to grasp and understand. I'll try and do some review of that to help get you caught up, or you might want to uh, dismiss yourself from this meeting and get caught up um, uh, and, then, and then get to this chapter um, through the videos or, or other means. Okay, so with that, let's get into the topic. And one of the things that it says, this is now not working, which is pretty horrible. I don't believe this. Uh, John, there's one back there. If you can get that for me, maybe that's the one that... Oh, it did move? You moved it? Okay, so that's the one. Okay. All right. Revelation 13, verse 4, our chapter tonight, primarily Revelation 14, but this is getting caught up to that. <clears throat> They worshiped the beast. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He causes all to worship the first beast. He has granted power and causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. In Revelation 14.10, 
If anyone worships the beast, he shall drink of the wrath of God. So those who refuse to receive the mark of the beast, the beast will kill. And those who do receive the mark of the beast will receive the wrath of God. Right? And so neither scenario is, is good or nice, uh, but certainly having the wrath of God is a whole lot worse than being killed by the beast power. <coughs> so again, very important topic with, with the uh, emphasis here on serious stuff, right? Uh, people being killed, that's pretty serious stuff. And it says all the world, right? Several verses there. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He causes all, right? He was granted power that causes as many as would, right? And so uh, talking worldwide impact, worldwide uh, influence. Now with such a strong warning as this, that God's saying, if you receive that, you're going to receive my wrath. Don't you think he'd want us to know what it is? Hey, wouldn't that be important to know? Well, what is this? This, this, you know, you ask most people, well, what is the uh, the mark of the beast? And they'll say, oh, it's a it's a mark on your forehead and on your hand. Yeah, but what is the what is it? Well, I, I don't know, but it's on your forehead and hand. So if anyone tries to do anything to your hand or forehead, don't let them do that, right? But it's it's much more than that, and the Bible will give us a specific identification of what exactly it is. You can imagine if you heard on the news a uh, an announcement uh, broadcasting that. Um, there is a food on the market right now that is extremely poisonous and there is strong warnings not to eat it at all. If you eat it, maybe even touch it, maybe even smell it, you have a good chance of, 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 of being poisoned by it. And within uh, 24 hours, your, your bowels will just burst and you will die a very horrible and painful death. And then the news announcement ends but they don't tell you what item it is that has this horrible poison to it, right? Are they talking about a banana, bananas? Are they talking about spinach? Are they talking about you know, some packaged good? What is it, right? And so if it just leaves it just at that, I mean, what would you have to do? What would people do, right? You'd have to stop eating, right? You'd have to stop touching anything that looks like food for fear that this might be it. And so God wants us to know with such a strong warning as this, that whoever does not receive the mark of the beast will be killed, or as many as it's able to, and those who do receive it will receive the wrath of God. Well, then certainly God wants us to know what that is. But still, it's not the most important thing. Because if we know what the mark of the beast is, and if we know who the beast is in order to know what the mark of the beast is, but we don't know the lamb, it won't do us any good at all. Right? You can know the freight trade's coming, but if you don't have the power to get off the tracks, knowing it's coming is not going to help you at all. And without Yeshua, we will not have the power in and of ourselves to resist receiving the mark of the beast. The influence will be so strong, the pressure will be so strong, that all who do not have the seal of God will receive the mark of the beast. All who do not love Yeshua with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, will receive the mark of the beast. As it says in these texts, all, right? All who dwell on the earth, right? So unless you're a Martian or move to the moon or something like that, if you do not have Yeshua, if you do not have his seal, if you do not have his protection, you have not surrendered his heart to him, then knowing what is coming will not help you and could even be worse. So, 
before we even go any further, if you have not yet accepted Yeshua as your Lord and Savior and surrendered all sins to him, surrendered your life to him and given him your heart, then do so right now before we go on to even the next slide. Uh, and if you're not ready to do that, that's fine. Then I would encourage you and invite you to, to leave and wait until you do and have surrendered your life to him and then come back to this topic. Again, it's chapter 14, not chapter 1. It's way into Revelation, especially when we add on Daniel as well. So we've covered 25 chapters before we come to this. And so this is not uh, uh, Bible lesson number 101, right? Not uh, Theology 101. But uh, it's, it's, it's after we've accepted the salvation of the Lord and are prepped in all the things prior to it. Okay, so with that as a preamble, let's get into the text and... All right. Go ahead, John. Help me out here. All right. Chapter 14 starts with, Behold the Lamb, Behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads, and they sang a new song, and no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are those who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb whithersoever he, wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now we covered these verses already when we did chapter 7. So they are listed there in chapter 7, the description of these, uh, this group. And, uh, and so we coupled it with that. But they're re-mentioned here for context of what is taking place. So in chapter 13, as we just saw some of the verses, is talking and identified the beast power, actually two beast powers that will work in conjunction together. And then after discussing that, it then gets into the people of God. Right? And that's what this description is. People of God who are living in the last days. Uh, uh, no one can learn their song except them uh, because they were redeemed from the earth. They have a new song. So their song representing their experience. No one has had an experience like them. No one has lived through the time of trouble such as uh, the world has never seen. No one else has seen the Lord come on the clouds uh, in all his glory. Right, And so um, the focus is they follow the Lamb. They have the Father's name written in their forehead. Right? And so that's significant. Right? We shouldn't miss that, again, in context. So God has a seal, and he puts it, his name into his people's forehead. And we'll see the beast then is the contrast, because the beast is the counterfeit. Throughout Revelation, there's this constant truth and then a counterfeit. And they are, they are redeemed from the earth. So these are the people. I don't think it's as literal 144,000, uh, but just a symbolic number, like the 12 tribes and 12 apostles, so 12 times 12, just God's fullness of God's people. And, uh, and so they're not, uh, so they're redeemed from the earth. So these are the ones who, who, who see the Lord come and, and the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, these guys, redeemed from the earth, shall be caught up together with those that were just resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. And so it's describing those people. They're not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And so obviously, again, it's not uh, 144,000 Jewish men because uh, you won't find 144,000 uh, Jewish virgins, Jewish 
uh, virgins on this earth. So, so obviously it's symbolic there and of, of the 12 tribes each, but, uh, but they are not defiled with women as we saw in Revelation. There's Revelation, there's symbolism, right? A lamb standing on Mount Zion, right? So again, Yeshua, the lamb, it's not really the lamb, it's Yeshua, but he's described as a lamb because it's a symbolism in this chapter and this book, right? And so <clears throat> they are not defiled with women, women being uh, apostate doctrines, apostate theories, uh, apostate people, professed, people professing to follow God. Uh, there's again a good woman, just like there's a beast and a lamb. There's a good woman in Revelation and there's a bad woman in Revelation. So these are not defiled with a bad woman or her daughters. And we'll get into that in a further chapter. Um, they, uh, they are no guile in their mouth, no deceit in their mouth. They are found without fault, right? So God has purified them completely and totally, total victory over sin. No spot, no wrinkle in their life. And, uh, and they are ready to, as brides, to receive the Lord, to, to uh, be received by the Lord at his coming. Okay, so that's the context here. It talks about these people, God's people, following the Lamb whithersoever he goes. And that's where we need to be, following the Lamb having the Father's name written in our forehead, without any guile in our mouth or deceit in our mouth, without fault before the throne of God, pure and blameless by his grace, not defiled with the things of this world, the traditions of men, but pure in following the Lord. I'm going to put the, when you see the flash, John, help me out here. Okay, so now we're going to see the next verses are this, this beast sandwich. All right, so it talked about the, the, uh, the people of God following the Lamb, and then it'll talk about them, it'll talk about the gospel of the Lamb, and talk about the Sabbath, and then it'll talk about the beast and his mark. And then in contrast to that, the other end of the sandwich is again the Lamb and his law, verse after verse after verse. So right in sequence, and I believe God put it that way on purpose so that we would uh, not miss the context of what the mark of the beast is. Okay, so let's, let's, look at these, let's look at these verses here. And I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel, right? So the gospel of the Lamb to preach, saying with a loud voice, fear God and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and springs of water. Okay, so you have the gospel, the gospel of the Lamb, the everlasting gospel, the same gospel from, from uh, eternity, from, from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, right on through the eternal gospel, the everlasting gospel, same gospel that saves them, saves us. It's the Lord that saves us. <clears throat> and, um, oh, let's go back, John. And, uh, and to worship him, who made the heaven and earth and sea, right? And what do we call, what is God's title or what is God's description when he is the maker of heaven and earth and sea? In that role, what hat is he wearing? He's our what? Creator, right. He's the creator, right? So it's saying worship the creator, right? So worship him in his role as creator. But the gospel is his role as savior. So he's our savior and our creator. And because of those two reasons, he has a right over us and over the world. He created all things and he paid the price for all sin and thus he has a divine right to be our Lord, to be our God, to be our ruler over all things and to dictate what is right and what is wrong. The standard of morality. And he's the one who made the heaven and earth and sea 
And that, those, that phrase, in a lot of Revelation, something like 80% of Revelation is phrases right from the first part of the Bible. <clears throat> and sometimes just a word like Babylon. But here a phrase, several words in a row, many words in a row, coming directly out of the fourth commandment. Right? And so God gave us the Sabbath as a memorial, as a reminder that God created all things. And to remember that, and so God... So anyone who had the Ten Commandments memorized and reading John's letter came out from Patmos, they know exactly what he's talking about here when he says, worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. It's a reference to the, to the Sabbath commandment. It's right out of the heart of the Sabbath commandment. And we'll see that in a few more slides when we get to that. And another angel then continues on. Another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So Babylon is fallen. Now there's two cities, so there's two women, there's two animals, a beast and a lamb, and there's two cities, a true city and a counterfeit city, so Babylon, the counterfeit city. And what is the true city referred to in Revelation? What is the term that's used for the true city? Close. New Jerusalem. That's right. New Jerusalem. It never listed just as Jerusalem. Always as New Jerusalem. So you have the New Jerusalem and you have Babylon. And it's significant that it mentions Babylon here, and we'll see that in a little bit, uh, because, again, what Babylon did, what Babylon stood for. And, that, and the book of Daniel was written during the time of Babylon. So again, understanding the book of Daniel helps us to understand Revelation in context. And it says Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Now the New Jerusalem, it says descends from God out of heaven. So the New Jerusalem is descending and Babylon is falling. So again, the counterfeit, always the, the op or, or you know, trying to duplicate what, uh, what God does. Now, Babylon's not trying to do that in falling, but it's just what it ends up happening. So New Jerusalem descends, Babylon falls. And the third angel followed saying, if anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God. Okay? So starting the following thing, worships the beast and his image, or receive his mark. So we just talked about, we just read about the, the Lord and his people, and worshiping him who created all things, and... Uh, the gospel, receiving the gospel of the Lamb, and now it gets into this beast meat part of the sandwich, and it says the, if you receive the mark in the forehead, and we already read that the, the children of God have the Father's name in their forehead, and here it's saying the mark of the beast will be <coughs> in the forehead or on the hand, and that's significant that it's in one or the other. It doesn't have to be in both. It could be one or the other, and we'll see why that is in a little bit. Now, from some of the verses we've already read in this one here, what is the issue? What is the issue that's being, what's the word that's used over and over and over again that we've read close to seven or so times already? Worship. worship. It's about worship. That's the issue. Whoever worships the beast in his image, right, worships the image. Whoever does not worship, right, will be killed. Right, so it's all about worship. God is the creator. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And so God is worshiped because he created all things, because he's the creator. And so the beast wants to copy that. He wants to be worshiped. When the devil met Yeshua in the wilderness, he asked him to worship him. 
Bow down and worship me, and I will give you all things. He's desiring to be worshipped. The issue is worship. And a lot of people uh, talk about the mark of the beast. They have no idea what it is. They think it might have been Gorbachev. Maybe Gorbachev had the mark of the beast because he had a mark on his forehead. Or, or maybe it's the, uh, when the UC, UPC codes first came out. And maybe some of you are too young to remember that. When they first started putting those on cans and labels, oh, no, don't buy anything that has that. Oh, don't, go, don't buy any of that because that's the mark. It's got these numbers on it. And <laughs> they're putting it through this computer system and they're going to mark you and you won't be able to buy or sell if you go and buy that stuff. Don't buy any of, the, uh, of these labels on this thing. And we've come so far since then. People didn't understand. It has, doesn't have to do with, with food labels and, and, and a mark on someone's forehead, but it has to do with the worship. The issue is worship. That is so key in understanding. So the keys of the Bible and Daniel and Revelation will make it clear and plain what the mark is. It has to do with worship. Here is the patience, and now the bottom part of the sandwich, it gets back into now the saints. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. So that again, unique combination of Yeshua and the commandments over and over again, right? So important that we have both, right? That we have Yeshua and that we have his commandments. Okay. So this gospel sandwich, so, or this beef sandwich, so you have the gospel and the lamb, the gospel of the lamb and the Sabbath, worship him who created all heaven, earth, and sea, and all that is in them. Then the beast and his mark, so you have the creator and the Sabbath and his gospel, and then you have the beast and his mark, then you have the lamb and his law. And the big hint there is that the beast is trying to counterfeit beast for lamb, mark for law, God's law. So the beast will have his own law, a law contrary to God's law, as the counterfeit. All right, so that's it in a nutshell. And that's why it's put in context like this. So the chapter started by talking about God's people, following the chapter that talked about the beast, and then puts it there right in the middle so that we don't miss it. But if you're listening to someone just grabs a verse and throws it here, throws it whatever verse here, verse here, chapters all separate, separating Revelation and Daniel and, and everything's just an individual thing, then you're missing the whole picture. But each layer adding to the one before it. So key. So we have true and false worship colliding in the last days. That is the issue. That's what it comes down to. And false worship often will look very much like the true worship. Right? If Satan's going to counterfeit, and that's what he's been doing all throughout Revelation, trying to counterfeit the Babylon falling, the, 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 the beast, and who, who is like unto the beast, again, it's what's said about God, and um, a woman. So all these things, trying to counterfeit God. It's going to come very close to the true The false worship will be very close to the true. It won't be like, oh, well, you know, just... Uh, this worship is sacrificing our children. Right? It, it's going to look very close to the real. In Revelation 4, we already read this when we did this chapter, Revelation 4, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Right? So he's worthy because he's our Savior, he's worthy because he created us, and so the issue of creation, Satan hates 
that God is our creator. Very few religions, or, or any, I don't know if they, any other religion that, that has its, its leader as the creator, right? But Yeshua is the creator. He created all things. He created this world. He brought us into existence. So as we talk about the mark of the beast, we're going to see some words, or some phrases, or some yeah, words in these verses that are interchangeable with mark. So we've got seal, sign, all of them are the same thing because it's for the purpose of identification, right? So a seal, you have a, a seal identifying a country or a state, right? The, or the, the governor's seal or the president's seal, right? It's to identify who wrote the letter, right? Uh, the, uh, a street marker, right? A, 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 marker of a monument, right? It's identifying what is there, what happened there, right? Or a street sign, right? It's there to identify where you are or where you're going. What's the street name? So it's for identification purposes. And that's what it comes down to. The mark, the seal of God and the mark of the beast is to identify whose side are we on? Are we on God's side or are we on the devil's side? That's what the issue is. That's why Cain received a mark. He was identified as disobedient to God. And so the, the mark is for identification purposes. It identifies who we are loyal to, who we are truly worshiping. And so there's only two sides. It's only going to come down to two sides. So let's look at the seal of God before we get into the mark of the beast, because the mark of the beast is going to be the counterfeit for the seal of God. And when we understand the seal of God, again, we'll be able to easily see what the mark of the beast is. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? So that's the Shema and the Via Hafta. And that leads right into then, verse 6, These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hands and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. And Orthodox Judaism takes that and interprets it literally, and so they have a, a box that's a fill-in on, on the head and it's a fill-in on the arm, um, right? But not in the heart, right? Close to the heart, but not in the heart, right? To do it literally, then we got to have an open-heart surgery, put a pacemaker type thing in there, and, and put the commandments inside if that's what it's talking about. But that's not what it's talking about. It wasn't meant to be understood literally, and we'll see that 10 chapters from here. In the same book, it's going to identify it not as literal. So it's not to be understood correctly. But one thing I want to point out before we go there is that it's, again, the contrast. We saw the mark of the beast in the hand or the forehead. Here, the seal of God. Uh, or write these words in your heart, and a sign on your hands, and a symbol on your forehead. Right? So hand, forehead, but also heart. <clears throat> and it says, these words which I command you this day. Well, what words did God command that day that would be in our heart, in our heads, and in our hands? This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. What's in Deuteronomy chapter 5? The Ten Commandments, right, the Ten Commandments. So he lists the Ten Commandments, and then right after that he says, these words which I command you this day. So we're back to the everlasting gospel and the Lamb and, and his laws to be written in our hearts and in our hands and in our foreheads. So ten chapters later in Deuteronomy 14, verse 29, the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand 
which you do. And Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Right? And so when it's talking about the hand, what's it talking about the hand for? What's the purpose of the hand? What does the hand symbolize? Power, Power right? And works, right? Actions, right? Doing, obedience, right? Whatever your hand finds to do, that we do, we do things with our hands, right? Uh, we even sometimes talk with our hands, right? So we do things with our hands, right? And so it's the doing part. And so it's the doing of the commandments that I command you this day. Not just a, a box on the arm, but a doing it. Right? We can believe the Ten Commandments, we can recite them, we can memorize them, we can write them on our hands in a box. And actually, that's not what's in the box, but that's a whole other story um, in the tefillin. But, uh, but if we're not doing them, we're lawbreakers and not fulfilling the spirit of the law. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he's really, Paul is quoting from Jeremiah with that verse. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Ezekiel 9, verse 4. Put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done. Okay, so again, we're seeing here uh, that it's God's law, right? It's the law that God's placing. What we're doing, we're obeying God's law. These words that I command you this day, put these laws in my mind and in my heart, right? And do them through me. Live out your life through me. Uh, and seal, right? So God's seal is his law. Seal the law among my disciples, or put a mark, again, interchangeable words, put a mark on the forehead of those who sigh and cry over the abominations. Who's that? Who's sighing and crying over the abominations? God's people or the devil's people? God's people, right, yeah. So it's talking about God's people will receive a mark. And where will they receive the mark? On the, on the, in their heart and on their forehead and in their hands, right. Because they're sighing and crying for the abominations that are done in the land. And again, it's not a literal mark, but a, well, again, having written in the heart means to love it. Having it on the forehead or in the forehead, right, and the word that's used there in Hebrew in all of these where it says on easily could be translated as in, in the forehead, right, what's in the forehead? What's part of the brain is the forehead? The frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, exactly. And what do we do with the frontal lobe? What's the frontal lobe for? Memory. Not memory. Yeah, you can bound it on a wall. No, what's, what's that? Memorizing. Not memorizing. Making decisions. Your frontal lobe is where you make your decisions. Right? That's why they used to do, I don't know if they still do, lobotomies. Right? If someone was making the wrong decisions, they cut out their frontal lobe. And they could still memorize things. They could still tie their shoes. They can still know their name. They can still feed themselves. But they weren't able to make decisions. So they had to be led around. Um, and that's why if you do drugs or drink alcohol, it affects the frontal lobe, and that's why people do stupid things when they're on uh, alcohol or drugs, because the frontal lobe has been impaired, the ability to make decisions has been impaired. So God says, make the choice, choose to love my law. Choose to obey my law. So that's with the, the mind. So it's putting the law into the mind and into the heart. Love my law. David wrote in Psalms, 
how I meditate on your law all day long. I love your law. Meditate on it all day long. And then the hands, it's doing it. And that's why the mark of the beast can be in either forehead, choose, choice, or action. Right? So we can, they can uh, be choosing to do what the, the beast mark is, or even just not even having to do it, but choosing it. Right? Choosing not to follow God. Choosing to follow the beast. Either way, it's still the same thing. And I saw in Revelation 7, right? So that's a parallel chapter with 14. I saw another angel coming out of the, from the east having the seal of the living God. Seal the servants of our God on their forehead. Right? So the seal of God is in the forehead. Mark the people who sigh and cry in their forehead. Right? So it's a seal interchangeable with Mark in the forehead of God's people. And it said, seal, in that other verse in Isaiah 8, seal my law among my disciples. So seal of the living God is God's law placed into our minds, into our hearts, that we choose to obey God, that we love God, and that we're following God. And that's really the same thing that's gone way back to the beginning. Right? That was the issue with uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, right? choosing to obey God or not be okay, obey God. And it's the same thing. It's not this great mystery. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. Whether we obey God or not obey God. So the seal of God is the law of God in the hand and in the forehead. And the mark of the beast is the counterfeit law in the hand or in the forehead. The choice or the action. That's it. It's a counterfeit law in contrast to God's law, in contradiction to God's law. That's it in a basic nutshell. And again, that's what, Adam, that's what the serpent, that's what the devil did to Eve. <clears throat> he put in an, a, a substitute law. God said, do not eat. He said, you can eat. I give you permission to eat. God wouldn't be that way. You Certainly you won't die. And so he disagreed with God and he put in a counterfeit. And Eve fell for it. And in that aspect, in the general sense, she disobeyed God. Right? And lost the seal of God. In a sense, received the mark of the beast. But not the mark of the beast. Because right? she followed the beast. She followed the dragon. She followed the devil. Right? And thus we all became children of the devil. So let's look at seals. Uh, what does it mean to be God's seal? Or any seal, any document. Going way back to Bible times. Right? A seal would authenticate a document, say, who is, this, who is the writer of this document? Who has the authority to write this document? So whether it was King David sealing a, a, a document or, or, or putting a seal over a jar and, and shipping it, it would have these identifications, such as the name, who's doing it, the title, and the territory. Right. So David, king of Israel, right? So it gives his name, David, he's the king, and his territory is Israel. And that would be on the seal. And we found seals, and those are the things that they say. Has the name, has the title, has the position, and then has the territory that they are over. So let's look at where God's seal is mentioned in the Bible. And we've seen this law having to do, seal my law among my disciples. Let's look at the laws. 
look at the fourth commandment in particular. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Well, who says the Sabbath is the Lord our God? Right? Who says you cannot kill? Who says you cannot steal? Who says, who has the authority? Who are you to tell me what to do and what not to do? Verse continues, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hallowed it. So there's his seal, right? You got his name, the Lord, yud heh vav heh You have his title. He made, he's the creator. And what did he make? Where does he rule over? Heaven and earth. And there's the phrase that we just read in Revelation 14. Maker of heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water, it says there. And here are the, the, uh, all that is in them. So right out of the uh, fourth commandment, talking about God's seal, God worship him who created all things. And so here we see the seal of God identified in this way in the fourth commandment. Of all the commandments, it's really the only one who identifies who he is that has the right to make that commandment. Or all the commandments, or any commandment. Because he is our creator. And that he is the Lord. And that he rules over all of heaven and earth. And if you live in heaven or earth, then you are under his jurisdiction because that's his territory. And he is your creator. And thus, we have a, an allegiance to him. We have an a, a obligation to obey him. And he has the authority because he is the Lord who has done all of these things. Because all the other commandments, I mean, you know, communist countries have thou shalt not, or don't kill and don't steal. Right? Does that mean they're godly? Unnecessarily. Right? But it's this, this commandment of all the commandments identifies who is the commandment giver, the commandment, the giver of the commandments, because it's right here in the Sabbath commandment. So this one is the seal that seals all the rest, that identifies God's wax seal into it, or stone seal into it, the engraved seal onto the, all the Ten Commandments. So God's seal contains the Lord your God is his name, is the creator, is the title, the maker, and the territory, heaven and earth. In Ezekiel 20, verse 12, it says the same thing. I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Keep holy my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. All right, and again, what's the purpose of a sign or a seal or a mark? For identification, right? So identification, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. This is my identification. This, is my, this identifies that I am the Lord your God. Right, this marker, this street marker, this identifies this war took place here, this event took place right here. And so God's identifying, this is how you will know that I am the Lord your God because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my sign and my seal. It symbolizes between you and me <laughs> that I am Lord, your Lord. So we're seeing this over and over again, all these different verses from all these different parts of the Bible. God seal with his law, seal his law among his disciples. Uh, God's uh, seal the law in their hearts and in their minds. So God's Sabbath, in particular, of his law in general, but the Sabbath specifically. 
So Satan has attacked the Sabbath because it is the seal of God's law. Right? Of all the Ten Commandments, which one is questioned? Which one is converted, uh, uh, contested? The Sabbath. That's the one. So simple. So Satan hates it, and he attacks it. Of all the rest. I mean, he hates all. We've broken one, we've broken them all. But this one seems to be the one, above all, that he attacks. Why? Because, again, it identifies God as his territory and his title, and that he is Lord, and also that he's the creator. And that's something Satan can't duplicate. He can't copy. And he hates that. He loathes it, that he's just a created being, and God is immortal, God is eternal. God's seal stands in contrast to the mark of the beast. So the seal of God is God's law, written in our hands, in our foreheads, in our hearts, in particular the Sabbath, as a specific identification. So the beast mark is the contrast to that, the, com the, the counterfeit for that, the substitute for that. So let's look at, so we have again that sandwich, and so there again we see in that sandwich, it's in contrast to it. Seal of God, or the everlasting gospel with the Sabbath, and the mark and the beast, and then the law and the lamb. So who is this beast that enforces this mark? Well, again, we've done that, and if you missed that, you need to go back and see that. But the Bible identified in chapter, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation 13, uh, 10 specific identifying marks, and we're going to see it again further in Revelation. But he came up out of Rome when the Roman Empire was collapsing, knocked out, or three nations were knocked out of the European area, that the Roman Empire divided up into ten nations, and three of those nations uh, were knocked out, and when that third one was knocked out, it paved the way for this power to come into full authority and to reign and be able to uh, rule. It, number three, it persecuted Bible believers for a long, long time, claims to be able to forgive sins and the power of God, right? So spoke blasphemy. Five changes, tries to change God's law pertaining to time. Shall rule for 1,260 years. It's a long period of time. And it starts that reign when that third nation is knocked out and it receives its authority. And then it ends that time period when it loses its power. And so it'll lose it, it lost its power. And in eight, it regains its power and has a worldwide following and a worldwide impact. It's a religious power, but not just a religious power, it's a religious political power. And the number of his name equals 666. And again, we've gone into that. We don't have time to review that all again, but I think those 10 make it pretty plain. There's really only one power on this earth that uh, can fit that identification in all 10 of those. So looking at the comparison of these two chapters, Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, they both have a lion, they both mention a bear, they both mention a leopard, one mentions a terrible iron tooth, undescribable thing, and one mentions a dragon, again, undescribable, same thing. Number five, they both have ten horns. Number six, speaks great things, speaks blasphemy, same thing. Seven, reigns 1,260 days, reigns 42 months, and that's the same thing also because there's 1,260 days in 42 biblical months. So again, all throughout the first seven are saying exactly the same thing, a little bit different wording sometimes, but exactly the same thing. So it's parallel, 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 parallel chapter for seven in a row, and then we come to eight, and it seems to say totally separate things. 
Changes times and laws in Daniel 7. And in chapter 8, it doesn't mention change times and law. In Revelation 13, rather. It, but it mentions mark of the beast. Is it really different? No. It's the same thing. Just different wording. So all eight are a perfect parallel between these two chapters. And if you don't believe me, let's ask the beast himself. What is your mark? Well, let's see. Daniel 7, verse 25 said, He will think to change times and laws. Right? That's pretty specific. Think to change times and laws. And I underlined four specific words there. Okay, so let's ask the beast, what is your mark? And he'll tell us, the Pope has power to change times, to abrogate laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. Word for word, four words right out of that text. I mean, that's so amazing, right? I mean, I mean, if you want to identify yourself, this is me, look at me. You take four specific words, to change times and laws. Pope has power to change times and laws. And Daniel 7 said the beast will cha cha to change times and laws. And they said, and that's what we did. Well, that's just the beginning. The Coverage Catechism, I should have brought one of these. I have one of these. Uh, uh, Rick gave me one. Um, should have brought it to show you. Let's look at what it says inside this. Catechism is written in question and answer format. What is the Sabbath day? So they ask themselves a question, then so that gives them the ability to answer it. What is the Sabbath day? Saturday is the Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Okay, so they, they, we did it. That's why. So why do we... Uh, now from the Catholic Encyclopedia. The Church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, and it's not the Jewish Sabbath, the Bible doesn't refer to it as the Jewish Sabbath, I mean, maybe one place or so, but it's God's Sabbath, right? He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is uh, <coughs> the creator of all things. It's his Sabbath. He's the one who created heaven and earth, and he rested on his Sabbath day. And Yeshua even said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So, uh, okay, uh, to go back to the, the, so the church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment, really the fourth, refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. So again, Catholic Encyclopedia is saying, this is what we did. We changed God's times and laws. God's law, in particular, one relation to time. From the abridged uh, Christian doctrine, another Catholic uh, publication, how prove you that the church has power to command feasts and holy days? Where do you have your power from? What proves your power? What proves that you have this authority? By the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of and therefore fondly uh, keep. I think I left out fondly observe. Right? And so it's saying, because we did this. That's how we have power. We did it, and the Protestants fondly follow us. They go along with it. So that's proof of our power. That's not satisfactory enough, so it asks itself another question. 
Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept? Had she not had such power, she could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. Right? So it says, how do you have this power? Well, because we changed the Sabbath to Sunday and all the Protestants follow us, so that shows that we have the power. Do you have any other way of proving it? No, we don't need any other proof. I just told you, this is how we got the proof, this is how we got the power, we did it, and, and that's what we did, we do it. And the scriptures doesn't tell you to do it, we did it, and everybody follows. So obviously we have the power to do it. That's the whole argument. According to this book, and again, the Catholic Encyclopedia, and others, we're not done. Catholic Record, uh, 1923. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. I mean, that's pretty plain wording. Beast power, what's your mark? Sunday is our mark of authority. That shows that we have the authority. God has his authority because he has the Sabbath. It proves that he created all things. Our mark, our authority, our identification, our sign is that we change the Sabbath and nobody questions us. Couldn't get more plain. I mean, the words. Think to change times and laws, change times and laws. Mark of the beast, mark of authority. Very clear. Now again, very important for us to remember you're not talking about individual people, individual popes, individual cardinals or bishops or, or people, Catholics. Any one of them could be saved, individual basis before God, with God. Uh, but it's talking about a system that's been around for, for 1,500 years that has been moving forward in this way. And it's, again, it's just a big system, and, and this is what the system is doing. And there are people caught up in it, ignorantly, again, like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, even as the king, and the king was able to be saved. Uh, and so, again, it's a system, not individual people. This is as its standard identification, its doctrine, its teaching, in the catechism, that's what they use for teaching young people in preparation for um, life as Catholics. Uh, this is how they teach it, this is how they show it, this is how they reason it out, and have for years and years. Uh, the Bible says, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. The Catholic Church says, no, by my divine power, that's blasphemy, by my divine power, I establish the Sabbath day. And abolish, sorry, thank you, abolish, sorry, I abolish, I was thinking establish the Sunday, right, but abolish the sun, Sabbath day and, com uh, and command you to keep holy the first day of the week and lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. Now that phrase there, bows down in reverence. What would we call that? Worship. Worship. And this is what this uh, president of this uh, college said. That the whole world is bowing in worship of in obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church by following our lead, we change the Sabbath, Protestants finally doing the same, thus they are worshiping us in doing so.
That's what he's saying. Yeah, that's the word there. So they claim they abolished the command, the Sabbath, command the first day, and that is a sign of worship to do the same in their mind. And that's really what it comes down to. That's the name of the college. We'll have a question and answer time at the end. Clarion Herald, New Orleans, uh, July 19th, 1990. How many people were alive in 1990, right? We we're getting closer to our day, right? All right, that's some of us. All right, so we're not talking a long time period ago, all right, 1990. This is a, just a newspaper. It's not a Catholic doctor, a Catholic publication. This is just a, a, uh, a newspaper in New Orleans. The Pope was traveling through the United States, and this is what they wrote. The Pope also defended the traditional idea of Sunday as a day of rest and worship. Sunday should be considered as a universal cultural value. The Pope said that the magistrates should work to create a solid base of social values that bear the mark of Christianity. What is he saying is the mark of Christianity? Sunday observance as a day of rest and worship. And that it should be a universal cultural value. Is he talking to the saints in the Catholic Church? Is he talking to the members? Is he talking there uh, to his faithful? Universal cultural value? Worldwide, to everybody. That this applies to everybody. This applies universally in his mind. A universal cultural value. And the Pope said the magistrates, who are they? What are magistrates? Legislators, Legislators right? It's another term for that, right? What? Governments. Governments, right. Government leaders. The magistrates, the kings, the presidents. Magistrates should work to create a solid base of social values. How does government work? How do magistrates work? How do they create? What? Making laws, exactly. By making laws. That's how they do it. God has his laws. The Pope here in 1990 is calling for the government to make laws that back up what the Catholic Church has done. Exactly what he's saying there. This is from St. Catherine's Catholic Church, uh, their sentinel. This is their uh, this individual church's newsletter or bulletin that they put out once a month or once a week or whatever. This is number 50, uh, volume 50, number, obviously doing it for 50 years, number 22 or something like that. Right? And so May 21st, 1995, right? They've been closer to our time. And this is what this parish priest had written into... Uh, their newsletter. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Now, it didn't happen in the first century, but unless he's saying it happened in the first century. But it did happen. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Not from any directions noted in Scripture. Right? So he's saying this is a revolutionary change. Saturday was changed to Sunday, not because the scriptures say to do so. This is accurate on that. But from the church's sense 
of its own power. And people who think that the scripture should be the sole authority, right? So he's saying the Sunday thing was done by the church by its power, its sole power. And then again, it has that power to do so because it's proof of our power that we did it. And everyone else is following it. But people that think that scripture should be the sole authority, right? And that's what Protestantism was. Protestant was, they said, scripture is sola scriptura, right? Sola, the, the scriptures and scriptures alone, right? Uh, if you can convince me by the Bible and the Bible alone, I will recant and I will, uh, you know, burn my books. Uh, but if not, here I stand, so help me God. Right? So that was the Protestants, all the Protestants. They based their teachings on the Bible, their understanding of the Bible, and that was their authority. Not teachings of men, not doctrines of men, not, not uh, theologians, but what the Bible said. Right? So all of them. Luther, Calvin, Jerome, Wesley, the Anabaptists, all of them tried to base it on the authority of the scriptures. So he says, well, if you want to follow the scriptures, if you people that want the scriptures to be the sole authority, then they should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. That's kind of interesting for a Catholic church to put in its newsletter and to give to its members. Look, if you guys want to follow the, the, the scriptures, well, then join some Sabbath-keeping congregation, become a Seventh-day Adventist. If you want to follow the doctrines of the church, well, then stay here on Sunday. That's what he's saying. Pretty amazing. I don't know how many people from the membership said, oh, well, yeah, I guess I want to follow the scriptures. Let me go and, and, and check that out. The priest told me to do so. The newsletter told me to do so. But again, at least he reasoned that out. That was very logical reasoning, very thought-out reasoning. The scriptures say this. If you want to follow the scriptures, then do so. If you don't want to follow the scriptures, if you want to follow the authority of the church, then stay here. So the issue comes down to the mark of God, his Sabbath, his seal, or the Roman Catholic Church's mark, which Protestants fondly follow in Sunday. Again, no one has received the mark of the beast yet. Going to Sunday is not the mark of the beast. Uh, that's not the issue. It will become the issue, and we'll see that here. But it's not the issue yet, has not been yet, because there is no, again, it says anyone who receives it will be killed. There's no forcing. He causes all. So there's not a force. There's not a death decree. There's not this uh, punishment going along with it yet. Right? So someone goes to church on Sunday, whatever, that's you know, in ignorance, that uh, God will hopefully enlighten them, and over time will grow and learn, uh, just as many have, just as Luther grew and learned in his understanding and others. Now, the first Sunday law was, again, not from the Catholic Church and not in the first century, but the first recorded one, the Sunday law, a law saying you have to not work on Sunday, was by Constantine in 325. On the venerable day of the sun, let the people residing in the cities rest, and let all workshops be closed. Christians should not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, Sabbath, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor, and as being Christian shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, it, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out of Christ." When he says, they shall be found Judaizing, what does he mean there? In context of what he wrote. If they're keeping the Sabbath, right? If they're found being, keeping the Sabbath, 
they are shut out from Christ. So even up until <coughs> the 300s, people were keeping the Sabbath. Of course, Jews were continually through the time, but, uh, but also followers of Yeshua were keeping Sabbath. And he says, if you continue to do that, you'll be shut out from Christ, but you should rest on Sunday. And he made it a law. That's the first recorded law. Now, it's in contrast, because what he did there, he made a law that you shall not, um, not work on Sunday and you shall not keep Sabbath. Right? So he established a law, established a worship, and prohibited other worship. And our Constitution, in the Amendment, First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. A fabulous little phrase that's really revolutionary, unheard of before it, and has been followed by others, but still today the majority don't follow that simple basic thing that government shall not establish or respect one religion over another, shall not encourage one religion over another, it shall stay out of religion's business, it, Congress shall make no law regarding religion or prohibit anyone from worshiping. But that's exactly what Constantine did. He established a religion, the Venerable Day of the Sun, stores should be closed, everyone should go to services and prohibit anyone from Judaizing, keeping the Lord's Sabbath, Saturday. And so that's what's made this country unique. So it's made this country great. This is what made this country a melting pot. This is what made this country a safe haven for Jews and believers of all stripes and for the Bible to flourish and for thinking to grow and people to grow in their understanding of the Bible and, and learn more and follow more and for us to be able to do what we're doing right here tonight on this night. And we can choose any night of the week and teach the Bible as we understand it because we have this right. Teach this in some other places, you can get killed. Teach some other things of the Bible, you can get killed. Teach the Bible alone in many parts of the world, you get killed. But we have this freedom in this country because of this simple phrase, the Establishment Clause. Government shall not establish nor prohibit. Again, it said Babylon, the spirit of Babylon will be the issue in the last days. What did Babylon do in the book of Daniel? It established religion, built a statue. Everyone must bow down in worship of my statue. And it prohibited the free exercise thereof. No, it was purged by them, but still in, in Babylon, city of Babylon, uh, whatever, it's still the spirit of Babylon. Prohibited prayer. Can pray to no one else other than to the, to, uh, to the king. Established religion, prohibited religion. That's the spirit of Babylon. That's why in Revelation, it talks about Babylon in contrast to God's kingdom, which God's kingdom is a kingdom of free choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Right? To Adam and Eve, free choice. That's the contrast. And that's what it's going to come down to. Who do we choose? Now I'm getting closer to our day, the current post, Pope. On Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, and again, Saturday is not the Jewish Sabbath, it's the Lord's Sabbath that Jews keep, right? Uh, but Sunday, the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, 
with ourselves, with others, and with the world. Sunday is the day of the resurrection, the first day of the new creation. The Sabbath is God as the creator, saying this is the new creation. Sunday is the mark of the new creation, with a new creator. And he says this in this encyclical, and in this encyclical he's talking about healing the world from global warming and coming together, and this is one of the ways we'll come together. Fox News was talking about him, uh, talking about things being closed on Sunday. The Pope saying, no work Sundays, not just for the faithful. Again, talking a universal, that stores throughout the world, factories throughout the world will be closed, so we're not polluting one day a week. And if there's not that pollution coming out of these factories one day a week, and people are able to be home instead and in services instead of driving down the road, going to work, and, and trucks and all this going on, it'll be less pollution in the world. And if there's less pollution in the world, we'll reverse the global climate change that's taking place. That's what he was presenting there. Again, this is right up to our day. And who's the guy on the left? Anyone recognize the guy on the left? Tucker Carlson, right, Tucker Carlson, Fox and Friends, and there was a few other people, and they thought it was a great idea. Yeah, hey, I'd like to have another day off. I, you know, the Orthodox Jews, they take Sabbath off, and it's a good thing, they get together with their family, they worship God, it's a great idea. You know, and, and everyone else should, Christians should do this other thing. They thought it was a great idea. And again, it's going to be a great idea. It's going to sound like a great idea. It's not going to sound like a horrible thing. It's going to sound like a universal thing. This is going to help heal the world. Bring world unity. Bring us together, in harmony together, working together against poverty and against pollution and against human trafficking, and we all come together. I mean, it sounds good. How can you oppose that? Especially if there's problems that, that lead to it, that set it up. And it's not just Catholics, again, it's Protestants following. following. Pat Robertson said, the next obligation that a citizen of God's world order owes is to himself. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is a command for the personal benefit of each citizen. Higher civilizations rise when people can rest and draw inspiration from God. Laws in America that mandated a day of rest. Talking about the blue laws. Sunday laws that used to be in effect, and actually most states still have on their books. They're just not enforcing them, but they're there. All it would take would be a switch of a flick of a switch, and they could be enforced. They're already there. And here, Pat Robinson is saying it's a good thing, and we should go back to that. And of course, the Sabbath day he's talking about there is not Saturday. Could it happen here in America? America that has this establishment clause will not establish religion or prohibit the free exercise thereof? The Bible is predicting that it'll speak like a dragon, this lamb-like, peace-like, messiah-like, freedom-like, free worship, freedom of expression, will eventually speak like a dragon. Hasn't yet, but will eventually repudiate the very things it said regarding establishing and prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And we have it 
happened here prior to the United States becoming the United States in Virginia. Laws in Virginia back in 1610. A Virginia law of 1610 provided that those who violated the Sabbath, talking about Sunday, or failed to attend church services morning and afternoon should on the first offense lose their provision and allowance of the whole week following. For the second offense, lose their allowance and be publicly whipped. And for a third offense, suffer death. That was here in Virginia in what became part of the United States of America. Missed th church three times and you can be killed. Could it happen again? Will history repeat itself again? Will a Constantine type of law take place again? I believe history will repeat itself. I believe that's what the Bible is predicting here. Revelation 12, 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, talking about God's woman, the good woman, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. Again, the two parts, the commandments and Yeshua. And the devil thinks about them enraged and goes to make war. What happens in war? What identifies war as opposed to a disagreement? Bloodshed, death, killings. Dragon goes to make war. They worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, Revelation 13, 4, reviewing. And they worship the beast, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. He causes all to worship the first beast. He was granted power and causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's what the Virginia law said. That's eventually where it will go. It was here, again, in what was the colonies. The Bible's predicting it will come back. It will speak like a dragon, forcing, enforcing. That's why, again, the mark of the beast is not yet. It's not worldwide. It's not being forced on anyone. So it's not going to church on Sunday. It's not the mark of the beast. When it becomes a forced issue, when it becomes laws forcing us to choose between God and keeping the Sabbath holy or not, that's when it becomes the issue. To obey God or to disobey God. That's the issue. You can be forced one way to make a choice, one way or the other. Pretty simple. And it goes right in harmony with all the Bible. That's what the Bible says all throughout. That's the theme all throughout. To obey or not. John chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you, that you should be not be made to stumble... They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Again, it's not going to be this cruel, horrible, hateful thing. It's not like the Hitler. He, they think they're serving God. We need to do this. We need to bring everybody together. We need to be obedient to God. It could be lots of things. It could be a war. And we saw in Daniel 11, there is still going to be at least one more major conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. Christianity as a whole, the west against Islam. The king of the north will come like a whirlwind, smash Islam, and then become the superior. I mean, in the midst of a war, a world war, lots of 
problems, lots of diseases and problems and people crying out. We need God. We need something to bring us back together. Could be some disease, some plague that goes and spreads around the world and people are dying and we need God. God bless America. God bless this world. God bless us. We need to come back to God. Could be natural disasters. Could be one natural disaster after another causing lots of problems. People crying out, oh, we need to go back to God. Where are we not doing God? And someone steps forward, well, we have Sunday football games and churches are empty on Sunday and people are working on Sunday. We're not blessing God. We're not worshiping God. That's why God is bringing these disasters. That's why this plague is here. That's why this sickness is here. That's why there's these wars. We need to serve God. We need to bless God. We need to obey God. As a universal cultural value, we need to all worship God on Sunday and close all the factories and close all the things so that we can heal this planet, heal it of the pollution, heal it of this warming and this cooling and whatever, and all these problems. We need to come back. That sounds good. Yeah, we need to come back to God. But if it's coming back to God with a substitute law, if it's coming back to God with a man-made law, then it's the wrong law. So the appeal is good. Come back to God. Repent and turn back to God. We become a wicked nation. We become a wicked planet. Yes, and that's right. It's true. But we need to have the right way of coming back. And so it'll sound very appealing. And they think they're doing God's service. We need to worship God. We need to get back into prayer. We need to get back into fellowship. We need to get back families. The divorce rate is too high and these kids being raised without two parents. All sounds good and all is right. But the solution is worse than the problem if it's in direct contrast to what God said. Mark 13, a last day chapter, chapter of last day prophecy. Mark 13, 8 through 13. Nation will rise against nation. There will be earthquakes and famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. They will deliver you up to councils. You'll be beaten. You'll be brought before rulers for my sake, for a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations and when they arrest you. Right? So what does it take to be arrested? What has to be in place to be arrested for something? A law. Laws are made so we can be arrested. Yeah, so it'll go. It'd be a slow thing, I believe. You know, first an idea, let's come together, it's free choice, let's come back to God, appeal and calling. And when people aren't coming in mass, well, then we need to help them out again. We need to help them out a little bit. Their bosses don't want to let them off work. We'll just make a law closing down the stores, closing down factories, closing everything down. And if that doesn't work, well, then we need to give them some more encouragement. We need to push it a little bit more. There'll be some penalties maybe. And slowly, step by step, the screw gets tightened thinking they're doing God's service. Again, not an evil intent. Wanting peace on this world, wanting peace on this planet, wanting good for everyone. But then there's these three who won't bow down to our statue. What do you got to do with them? You got to throw them in the fiery furnace. They won't participate. They got to go in the fiery furnace. It wasn't like free choice. Okay, everyone who wants to bow down to the statue, bow down. If you don't want to bow down, you know, go take a break. That's what government does, traditionally. History repeating itself. That's Babylon. Enforcing worship and prohibiting the free exercise 
of anything different. And so they'll arrest you, but do not worry what you will speak when you're brought before councils. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child, and children against parents, putting them to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. All the world wandering after the beast. And there'll be a group, a remnant, who keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Yeshua, who will stand in contrast, who will be hated, brother betraying brother, children betraying parents, parents giving their children over to death. Can you imagine such a thing? But if it's stopping world peace, if it's stopping the hand of the wrath of God from being withheld and removed, well then whatever it takes, we need to do it. That's from the book of Matthew and Mark, right? Wherever we read it. <clears throat> Mark 13, I think that was. In Psalm 119, verse 26, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men don't keep your law. Rivers of water coming down from my eyes, sighing and crying for the abominations that are done in the land. Put my mark that not keeping my law. Put my mark on those that are crying, sighing, because God's law has been made void. God, it's time for you to step in. You've got to step in. You've got to do something here. They're delivering us over to councils. They're arresting us. They're imprisoning us. They're threatening to kill us. And then God will step in. He who endures to the end shall be saved. It takes endurance. It's not just a skip and a hop and a walk and a stroll. It's going to be a trouble sometimes, such as the world has never seen on a global scale. But it's endurance on the part of the saints by God's grace. In Luke chapter 21, verse 28, when these things begin to happen, look up. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. So when the mark of the beast starts to get installed and enforced, hey, that's good, we're almost there. It's the last thing that needs to take place. The gospel is gone to the world that enraged the dragon and it stirred him up. God's people are sealed, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with obeying God. And then the four winds can be let loose and the devil's wrath taking place on this earth moving forward against God's people, God's remnant. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. God has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So again, in the heart. So write the laws in the heart, put the Spirit in the heart. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So God's seal, again, is his law, in particular the Sabbath. But what seals us and gives us the power to be able to obey it and keep it is the Holy Spirit. So we can know, oh, that's the mark of the beast. We can know this is the seal of God. But without the Holy Spirit, we won't be able to make the right choice. We won't be able to follow through to do what we know we need to do. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to Yeshua as our Messiah. comes down to the traditions of men versus the commandments of God. It's that simple. 
The mark of the beast, it's not this complex, hard thing to understand. Traditions of men, commandments of God. Which are we going to follow? Which will we choose? What do we choose today? To follow God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Or not? We choose the mark of the beast or the seal of God. That's what God has always done. It's always been just a test. It seems like a simple thing. What's the difference? One day over another day, what's the big deal? What was the big deal for Adam and Eve? This fruit or that fruit? It's just a piece of fruit. That tree, all these other trees are good. What's wrong with that tree? Why can't we eat from that tree? That tree looks just like all the other trees. That fruit looks just like all the other fruit. Why are you making such a big deal about a piece of fruit? Because it wasn't the piece of fruit that's the issue. I don't think there was poison in the fruit. The issue was, who were they going to choose? God put a test there and said, this is the test. Simple test. Just don't eat from that one thing. Demonstrate to me that you believe me. Demonstrate to me that you trust me. Demonstrate to me that you're loyal to me. Don't eat from that tree. That's simple. Obey me. And you'll show your loyalty. You'll show your allegiance. You'll show that you'll give me a sign that I am yours. And Adam blew it. Simple thing. Manna in the wilderness. Simple thing. Go and get it every day. Don't store it up. Those that stored it up became worms. They didn't believe. Twice on, on Friday, preparation for Sabbath. Don't go out on Sabbath because it won't be there. Simple test. Cain and Abel. Simple test. What's the difference between a lamb or some fruit? What's the big deal? I brought you some fruit, didn't I? I brought you the work of my hands. What's wrong with that? What's the big deal? Why has it got to be a lamb? That was the test for them. Commandments of God or the traditions of men? My way or God's way? That's what it comes down to. It's that simple. The seal of God is God's way. Following God's way, God's word, God's laws, God's truth. The mark of the beast is following disobeying God. The Ten Commandments, simple ten things, two stones. Tablets. Simple. To obey or not to obey. That's what it comes down to. That's the test. In every age, there was a test. Different tests for different times. Well, you and I aren't being tested over a piece of fruit on a tree. You and I aren't being tested over manna falling down from heaven and, and landing on the ground. That's not our test. Each generation had a test. The last day test will be Loyalty to God, keeping his Sabbath, or listening to the commands of the laws of the magistrates to keep our neck, to be able to buy and sell, to be able to eat, and go along with the world. That's what it comes down to. In the days of Noah, God invited his people to take a stand. That was the test. You and I are in tested on getting into a boat or not. But that was the test. Do you believe me? Build a boat and get in it. That's it. Simple test. That was the test. And only eight people passed the test. Always been just a small remnant. Always been just a small minority that are willing to follow God and obey Him. And the test will be similar in the end. Obedience to God or not obedience to God. Different issues, but the same basic thing. 
obedient or not. In the days of Daniel, God invited people to take a stand, not to bow down to the statue, obey the second commandment, not worship any other thing other than me, graven image or statue or anything. Simple test. Only three followed and obeyed. And in these last days, God will invite his people to take a stand. And by this you will know that I am the Lord your God, if you keep my Sabbaths holy. It's God's identification in these last days. Because Satan has made it the issue. Could have been any of the Ten Commandments. But this is the one that Satan chose to attack. This is the one that he made as his mark. Could have been anything. And it wouldn't really matter which one it was. Of course, this one is the one, the Sabbath is the one that God's seal is on, his name, his title, his territory. So that's why Satan attacks that one. And that's what's going to be the issue, as we see here. Joshua 24, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served and serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what your fathers did, your mothers did, your grandparents did, they weren't under that test. They had a different test for them. They weren't their own test. They could be saved in doing this, in traditions of men putting boxes on their arm or, 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 or going to service on Sunday or whatever. But in the last day, again, not yet, but it's coming. And God's waiting on us to be ready and to take the message to the world, the gospel to the world. Not the mark of the beast to the world, not even the seal of God to the world. It's the gospel that goes to the world that we need to take to the world. Then he can bring it about. So in the past, they could be saved. That's not for us to judge or discernment. God will work that out. But our test will be unique in this last day. And so we can choose that we will serve the Lord. So uh, I think uh, I passed out some paper there. If you'd like to fill this out um, and answer these questions, you want to put your name on it and pass it in if you want. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, um, be helpful to me. But more importantly is your decisions regarding these questions between you and God. This meeting was clear. Now, question number one, either A or B, this meeting was clear, or B, this topic was not clear, I need more information. That'll be helpful for me to understand. We'll get together and we can discuss it some more. Nope, I don't have to help us out here. Uh, secondly, <clears throat> you choose to follow the Lord, yeah, go on all the way down. Thank you. I want to come out of Babylon, the system of disobedience to God. And again, your test today might not be that last day test of Sabbath to Sunday test. Could be any other disobedience to God, but you want to come out of disobedience to God. You want to come out of that system of Babylon, man-made traditions, and follow God. <clears throat> and three, I want to stand with my Creator by resting on the Sabbath day. And so if that's your desire, meeting was clear, the texts were clear, and you want to follow God, come out of Babylon, and follow the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, 
Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to seal us with his Holy Spirit to give us the power to follow through with that. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your word and we're thankful for your truth and we're thankful, Lord, for your love for us. Thank for your consistency in your word and your consistency towards us, your everlasting love towards us. And Lord, we thank you for your commandments to give us guidance and direction and morality. And we're thankful that you did create all things and that you created us and that you've saved us through the blood of the lamb and that you're creating in us clean hearts and new minds. Write your laws into our hearts and minds and give us the power through your spirit to obey them and seal us and give us the ability to stand against the mark of the beast and use us in warning the world and preparing the world with your everlasting gospel so that they can come to you and love you and surrender to you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.